few months ago, Adam preached a sermon and used a sermon illustration where he uh, he beat me up over borrowing a dollar that uh, I never paid back. I never even borrowed a dollar. I don't know what his deal is. Ages never actually borrowed a dollar from me. Uh, the real reason that I used him in that illustration is because, well, I really can't stand the guy. Um, I, I think one of the things that I can't stand about him is that big furry beard. Who does that unless you're on Duck Dynasty? Who does that? I, uh, I'm no psychologist, but I did take a psych class once, and I figured out what his deal is. He's insecure. He grows this beard so he can hide behind it. He feels safe and secure behind this big furry beard that covers up his whole face. I know I should probably have compassion on him, but I kind of just want to punch him in his furry face. I don't know what his deal is. I think he's jealous, to be honest with you. You guys see this beard? It's beautiful. I'm a beautiful guy. He's pretty jealous. Do you guys see his, uh, his head? <laughs> now, I'm no meteorologist, but I think I read somewhere in some book that uh, he might have some kind of bald guy complex. And so, really, he's just jealous of my beard. Another thing I can't stand about age is his name, age. Did you know his real name is Adrian, A-D-R-I-A-N? There's no G or E in there. <laughs> if he wants to shorten his name, it should be Aid, not age. It doesn't even make sense. You know what I think his problem is? He's just too old. Is he like 65 or something? <laughs> It's like about to retire, man. We just retired a pastor. I honestly don't know what his deal is. I just really can't stand, stand, stand the guy. guy. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Pastor Age, for helping me to introduce our topic today as we continue our series on family life the good, the bad, and the crazy. Uh, we're talking about a subject today that every single family deals with. No matter what your family looks like, your family deals with this from time to time. And that subject is conflict. Now, just to clarify, it's really not true that I can't stand him. I don't understand the beard. But I, I love the guy. We're good friends. So we just wanted to kind of introduce this topic to you this way this morning. But, um, you know, you can't get around conflict. You put two people under the same roof for longer than five minutes, there's going to be the, the potential for conflict. And, and most of us don't like conflict, right? There are a few crazy people out there who just seem to, to love conflict. Most of us don't like it. But here's what we need to understand. Conflict in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Conflict itself is not what, what harms relationships. How we handle conflict, that's what's good or bad. How we handle conflict is what can bring harm 
to a relationship if we don't handle it in a good way. So this morning we're going to talk about how do, how do we navigate conflict. If, if conflict is not necessarily bad, but we know it's inevitable, we know that conflict can actually be good. It, it can lead us to a, a, a deeper understanding of each other, deeper knowledge of one another. Conflict can actually strengthen our relationships, but we have to handle it in a healthy way, don't we? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Fortunately, the Bible has a lot to say on the subject. And one passage that I want us to look at today is found in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we'll have it on the screen, but if you'd like to turn in your Bible or your Bible app, uh, it's kind of a random couple of verses that we're going to look at. And we need to know that in this letter, in the, the letter of, of the Philippians, which he wrote to the church in the city called Philippi, that's why it's called Philippians, um, in this letter, Paul has been talking about the self-giving, self-sacrificing love that God demonstrates to us through Jesus Christ, right? God sent his own son who took our sin upon himself. He died on the cross for that sin. And in doing that, God, uh, God sacrificed himself in love for us. And so Paul is writing about that. And in, uh, in chapter 4, he starts to provide some examples of how we can live that kind of love out. Because if we're going to be followers of Christ, then Paul says we need to be demonstrating that same self-giving self-sacrificing love. And so the first example that he gives is, is found here in Philippians 4, verse 2 and 3. It says, Now I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. Those are not Star Wars characters. They're two ladies in the church. I appeal to you, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Did you catch the motive that Paul gives there? The reason that these two ladies need to settle their difference and settle their, their argument? It says, because you belong to the Lord. Because you are a Christian. Because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the motive for working things out. You see, as Christians, we, don't, we really don't have the option to continue to be mad at somebody and to continue to just live in conflict for the simple reason that God has reconciled us to himself. And if God has reconciled us to himself, then we need to be reconciled to one another. And so Paul says, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And then he goes on and he says, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. He does a couple of things here. First of all, he gives sort of secondary responsibility to other people in the church to help these two ladies work it out. As Christians, we're called to be peacemakers, aren't we? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are called to be peacemakers. And so what that looks like is um, if somebody comes to me, let's say that I go to Pastor Kyle and, and I'm telling him all about age and how I can't stand age. And he has that, that big stinking beard and he likes the stinking Dodgers. Who likes the Dodgers? And, and, I'm, and I'm telling Pastor Kyle all these things about age. And, and what if Kyle responds to me by saying, yeah, I know, right? I can't stand the guy either. What is the deal with that beard? I don't get that. What's, what's Kyle doing in that situation? He's feeding the conflict. He's not being a peacemaker. He's feeding the conflict. And so as Christians, we need to be peacemakers. And Paul, he appeals to other people in the church and he says, you know what? Don't feed the conflict between these two ladies. Help them work it out. That's the secondary responsibility. 
But who does he give the, the, the primary responsibility to? The two ladies. The two Star Wars characters, right? Yodia and Syntyche. He says, you ladies, work it out. The responsibility is on you to work this out. Interestingly, he doesn't, he doesn't really give us any details about this conflict. Uh, but there are some assumptions that we can make about it. And one assumption is that um, it, it had gotten to the point where these ladies, they couldn't work it out themselves. They needed some help working this out. Now, one of the keys to resolving conflict is don't let it get to that point. Settle it early on. Settle it as early in the conflict as you can so that it doesn't get to that point. But apparently, uh, they were having trouble resolving it themselves. A second assumption we can make about it is that it wasn't about, this conflict was not about some theological issue. It wasn't about some moral issue. And the reason we know that is because Paul would have said something. Throughout the New Testament, Paul addresses theological issues and moral issues that people needed to change. But he doesn't do that here. Instead, this was a personal issue. This was an issue of personal opinion or, or, or just a personality thing. And in fact, in my experience, I have found that very few conflicts between people are truly theological or, or moral in nature. Some are. Now, we like to turn personal issues into theological issues sometimes, don't we? And we have to be careful about that. But most of the time, they're personality issues. And that seems to be the case in here, in, in this case. Um, most conflicts are over personal taste or personal conviction or personal opinion. Most conflicts are over those things. Here's the thing, though. Personal tastes and personal convictions and personal opinions do not cause conflicts. You know what causes conflicts? Selfishness. Wow, I don't want to think about that. Selfishness. Now, don't throw anything at me. Don't be mad at me for saying that. It's what Scripture says. James says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. In other words, when we have, we have our personal tastes and we have our personal uh, opinions and our personal convictions and those all, we have those because God created us to be unique. But when we allow selfishness to enter that equation, that's when conflict happens. When we selfishly insist on the superiority of our personal opinions or our personal ideas or our personal convictions, that's when conflict happens. But most of the time, selfishness is at the root of that. And so it would appear, uh, based on what Paul does not say in these verses, that that's the kind of conflict that these two ladies were involved in. It was a personal issue. And Paul says to them, ladies, work this out. Work this out. Have you ever said to your kids, I don't care what you're fighting over, work it out. That's kind of what Paul is telling these ladies. Work it out. So the question for us today is, how do we do that? I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, go work it out. But how do we do that? How do we resolve those conflicts in a healthy way? Um, what I want to do for the rest of the message, the rest of this message is just going to be really practical. And I want to provide all of us with a raft for navigating 
conflict. And what I mean by that is I have an acronym. You know, that's where you have a word and each letter stands for something. I almost never do that in a sermon. But I'm going to do it today because I want to give you something that you can remember and take with you. And so if you think of the word raft, it begins with an R. And in this acronym, that means release. Release, to let go. It is 100% impossible to navigate conflict in a healthy way. If you're not willing to release what someone has done for, to you. In other words, we're talking about forgiveness. Faft isn't a word though, so we have raft. We're talking about forgiveness. We've got to let go. That's what forgiveness means. To forgive means to let go of your right to be angry. It doesn't mean you pretend like the person didn't hurt you. They did hurt you. That's why you're upset. And you could make a case that because they hurt you, you know what, you, you kind of do have a right to be angry at them for the rest of your life. Maybe you even have the right to get even with them. But forgiveness says, I'm going to let go of that right. I'm going to release that right to stay angry and to get even. That's what forgiveness is. It's letting go of that right. We... Uh, my wife and I, we had, we had two cats for years and years. Both of them died in the last six months or so. Um, but one of them was, was this kind of a, kind of a psycho cat. Um, that is not a picture of the cat. But I, I googled psycho cat and I thought that was a great picture. Um, so we, we have this, this kind of psycho cat. Most of the time this cat was really nice, but occasionally you would be maybe carrying this cat to the other room. Uh, there were a couple times where Sarah was holding her on her lap and, and the cat would just, for no reason at all, would just freak out and just start clawing. And I've, I have a, I have a scar right here from the cat doing that one time. And so when, when, if you're holding a cat, and that cat is going crazy, and that cat is clawing you, what is the only thing to do that makes any sense? Don't say shoot the cat. In that moment when you're holding the psycho cat that's, that's shredding up your arms, what's the one thing that makes any sense? Drop it. You let go of the psycho cat, or else it's going to shred your arms to pieces. When we hold on to grudges, when we hold on to those things that people have done to hurt us, we may think that we're hurting the other person, but the only person we're hurting is ourselves. I, I, I love this quote. I heard somebody say once, um, not forgiving someone is like eating rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Let that sink in for a second. When you're holding the psycho cat, the only person that that cat is hurting is you. And when I hold on to grudges and I hold on to those, that anger that I have towards people, what ends up happening is my heart, my heart gets shredded. And the only thing that makes sense is to let it go. Let go of the grudge. Let go of the right to stay angry before it shreds your soul. Drop the psycho cat. 
Paul puts it this way in Colossians. He says, bear with each other and forgive, read that word with me, whatever grievances. Forgive whatever grievances. He doesn't say um, forgive most of the things that people do to you. He doesn't say forgive the little things, but the big things you can hold on to. He says forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another. And then he says forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, sometimes people will say, um, well, I'll forgive that person uh, as soon as they deserve it. As soon as they've earned my forgiveness, then I'll forgive them. As soon as they do this, or as soon as they say that, then I'll forgive them. Let me tell you something, folks. The Bible says while we were still lost in our sin, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. In other words, before we could ever do anything to to earn or deserve God's forgiveness, he he put the ball in motion. And so if we're going to forgive as the Lord forgave us, then we need to realize it's not about the other person earning it. In fact, it's not about them at all. It's not about what they do at all. It's about us. It's about making the decision to not hold on to this. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to release it. So forgive as the Lord forgave you. Release it. Release it. The A in our raft, though, is apology. This is the other side of it. Um, I'm not sure which is harder, forgiving people for what they've done to us or taking responsibility for what we've done to them. They're both pretty difficult, aren't they? They're also both necessary if we want to navigate conflict in a healthy way. We've got to own our part in it. And um, one thing that I have learned is that in any conflict, there is seldom, if ever, an innocent party. We always want to blame the other person, don't we? We always want to say, well, it's all on them. It's all their fault. And here's the thing. Even if they started it, even if they were the first one to, to, to injure you or to say something hurtful to you, even if they started it, as soon as you responded to them in a way that's unhealthy, as soon as you responded to them in a way that hurt them, guess what? You took some of the responsibility of that conflict on yourself. So resolving conflict in a healthy way, in order to do that, we've got to own our part. We've got to take responsibility for our part. And that means no excuses, no no justification. If you apologize to somebody and then turn around and try to justify yourself, you've erased the entire apology. I like to put it this way. Um, A sincere apology is never followed by the word but. I'm sorry... But, I'm sorry that I did this, but you had it coming. That's not an apology. An apology here's, what a, here's what a genuine apology looks like. I'm sorry that I blank, period. Say that word with me, period. Try that again, period. I'm sorry that I blank. No excuses, no justifications. If you're still trying to justify yourself, then you haven't really owned your part. I know sometimes people, uh, sometimes we're hesitant to own our part because we feel like if we do, then we're taking responsibility for the whole conflict, right? Have you ever, you ever kind of, you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, I don't, I don't want to be the first to apologize because this conflict isn't all my fault. Well, here's the thing. You don't have to take responsibility for the whole thing. Just take responsibility for your part. And one way to verbalize that is this. It hurt when you blank, 
But that didn't give me the right to respond the way that I did. And I'm sorry. Period. I'm sorry. Period. David says this in Psalm 139. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a great prayer to pray when you're in conflict with somebody. Search me, God. Show me what my part in this has been. Show me what I need to take responsibility for. Show me what I need to apologize for. Search me, God. Search me. Apologize. Own your part in it. F is for flexibility. To navigate conflict in a healthy way, we need to be flexible. And uh, here are three areas specifically where we need to be flexible. First of all, be flexible enough to realize there's probably a side of this story that you don't know. In fact, there's almost certainly a side of the story that you don't know. Ask questions like, did I hear you correctly? Is there something that I'm not aware of in this? Or somebody told me this, is that true? There's probably a side to the story you don't know. In fact, a big part of the story that you may not know is the other person's motives. When people hurt us, it's natural for us to just kind of assume that they did it on purpose, isn't it? Well, they're just a mean, horrible, hateful person. They did that on purpose. Well, not necessarily. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they just messed up because they're human. And so understand that there's, there's more to the story probably than you're aware of. So be flexible enough to acknowledge that. Secondly, be flexible enough to acknowledge that you're not always right. Oh, that one hurts, doesn't it? Who likes to admit that? I saw a shirt last week when we were on vacation. And it said, people who think they know everything annoy those of us who do. I thought that was pretty funny. Here's the thing. You don't know everything. You don't know everything. And neither do I. None of us do. In fact, nobody likes to hear this, but sometimes, sometimes you're just flat wrong. Sometimes you're just wrong. Sometimes you have wrong information. Sometimes you remember things incorrectly, even though in your mind you swear this is how it happened. Sometimes you remember it wrong. Sometimes you just don't know what you're talking about, even though you think you do. And that's true of me, and that's true of you. That is true of the person sitting next to you. Please do not elbow anybody. It's true of all of us. And if I'm not willing to admit that I don't always get it right, if I'm not willing to admit that, then I am destined to live a life of constant conflict with people. And I'm going to live a life of constantly hurting people around me. Be flexible enough to admit that you're not always right. Third thing is be flexible enough to cut people some slack. Cut people some slack. This is an area that Sarah and I have to work on a lot in our marriage and with our kids. Um, Cut people some slack. I I, I put it this way. Um, Give people enough room 
to be as imperfect as you are. Give people enough room to be as imperfect as you are. And here's the thing. If you think that you're perfect, if you think that you never mess up or never do anything wrong, then guess what? You have a bigger problem right here than the person who you're mad at. Have the flexibility, have the humility to cut people some slack. In fact, all three of these areas are rooted in this verse. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be flexible with people. Cut people some slack and have the humility to acknowledge that you're not always right. You're not always right. Well, the T in our raft is talk. At some point, you're going to have to talk about it. At some point, you're going to have to talk it out. Now, this is the part that probably causes butterflies to well up in our, in our bellies, isn't it? Because not many people enjoy those conversations. Again, there are some of you crazy people who do, but most of us don't enjoy those conversations. Uh, but here's the deal. Conflicts don't usually just work themselves out. At some point, you're probably going to have to talk about it. You're going to have to talk it through. And so, um, again, the earlier in the conflict that you have this conversation, the better. And it may be if it's, if it's already gotten to a point where you just can't hardly sit down together and talk about it, maybe you need to go to a neutral third party. But, but you're still at some point going to have to talk it out. So how do we do that? Here's some practical tips for having that conversation. The first thing is choose the time and place carefully. Uh, right when your spouse walks in the door from work, that's probably not the best time or place to have that conversation with them. Um, moms, dads, in front of your kids is not the best time or place to have those kind of conversations. Go behind closed doors. And keep that stuff away, away from the kids. Um, you know, for us in our house, I, there was a time when I was really bad to bring up these conversations like right at bedtime. Like literally when we had crawled into bed and we were both exhausted and really wanted to go to sleep. A lot of times that's when I would bring this up. And it, and it drove Sarah nuts. And so I've, I had to try to kind of work on that. Uh, maybe bedtime when you're completely exhausted. Maybe that's not the best time or place. So ask God for wisdom. Say, God, show me. Give me wisdom to know the best time and the best place to have this conversation. Choose that carefully. Uh, secondly, enter the conversation with a desire to listen and a desire to understand. Um, if, you're, if your goal in the conversation is simply to puke emotionally and verbally all over the person, then don't have the conversation. Don't have it. If, if you can't enter that conversation with a willingness to listen and, and to try to understand where they're coming from, it's best not to have the conversation. You're not ready yet. Have a willingness to listen and understand. I had a, had a guy come into my office um, quite a few years ago. And this wasn't a family thing. It was a church thing. But he came in and um, he, just, he just emotionally vomited all over me. Like he was complaining about stuff. And some of it was personal, directed at me. And, and so we, we worked through it. And we were able to pray together. And then as he was leaving, walking out the door, he goes, Man, I feel better. And I thought, yeah, there have been times I've vomited and felt better afterwards too because that's what you just did to me, dude. Um, be careful about that. 
If your goal is just to vomit all over the person, if your goal is to just prove yourself right, don't have the conversation. It's, it's, you're not ready yet. So have a desire to listen and understand. That, that's very closely connected to the next one. Try to see things from their perspective. Try to put yourself in their shoes and in their place. And ask yourself, okay, if I, if I experienced what they experienced, would I, have, would I have reacted the same way? Maybe you would have. But put yourself in their place. Sometimes I think we don't want to do that because we think that if I, um, if I put myself in their place or if I see it from their perspective, then that means that I agree with them. No, it doesn't. You can understand where somebody's coming from. You can understand how they arrived at this action or this, um, or, or this conversation or this thing they said. You can understand how they arrived there without agreeing with what they did. But putting yourself in their place and seeing it from their perspective is huge. Another just real practical thing, uh, avoid always and never statements. You always do this. You never do that. You know what I do when somebody says that to me? I immediately go to my memory and I start thinking of one example. Because if you tell me I never do something or I always do something, then I just have to come up with one example and I can prove you wrong. Right? Those statements just put people on the defensive. And so avoid, avoid those kind of statements. Avoid always and never. Because if I come up with one example, even if it was five years ago, then I've proven you wrong. So be careful about those. Uh, the next one is watch your thoughts. And here's what I mean by that. When you're mad at somebody or when you've been hurt... It's real easy to start replaying the conversation, isn't it? Or replaying the event. You you go through it again over and over in your mind. You replay it over and over. And what happens when you do that? You get angrier and angrier, don't you? Or, Or worse yet, I bet you've done this. I know I've done this a lot. I'm bad about this. I have to be careful about this. Um, sometimes we replay hypothetical conversations in our minds, don't we? conversations that didn't even happen, events that didn't even happen. But have you ever done that? Raise your hand if you've ever been brushing your teeth or driving down the road thinking about some uh, imaginary conversation that never happened. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. What happened when you were doing that? You got more and more angry, didn't you? You were getting more and more angry angry over something that didn't even happen, over a conversation that never even took place. Be careful with that. When you find yourself going down those kind of roads mentally where you're replaying either real or imagined conversations in your mind, when you start going down those roads, Paul says take every thought captive. Distract yourself. Pray. Read your Bible. Do, engage in some other activity that distracts your mind and keeps you from going down that road. Because those things just, it just feeds your anger. So watch your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. The last thing, and I don't know, maybe the most important thing, is keep the main goal the main goal. Would you say that with me? Keep the main goal the main goal. Folks, the, the goal in a conflict with a loved one, the goal in resolving that conflict is not to prove yourself right. A couple weeks ago, we preached about, about marriage. We talked about how marriage is not a competition. We're not competitors. 
We're teammates. That's true for any relationship that you're in. You're not competitors. And so when you're in conflict with somebody you love, no matter what kind of relationship it is, when you're trying to resolve that, the goal isn't to prove that you're right. It's not to win. The goal is to find a workable solution and not do damage to the relationship. In other words, the relationship is higher priority than you being right. Pastor Kyle says this a lot or something to this effect. It's better to be kind than to be right. It's better to be kind than to be right. Because here's what happens. If you win in a conflict with a loved one, if you win by proving yourself right, but you do damage to the relationship in the process, then you've both lost. You've both lost. It's better to be kind than to be right. I told you at the beginning that Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians to convey the self-giving, self-sacrificing love of God that is in Christ. And Jesus said that his disciples would be known by this kind of love. He said, my disciples will be known not by their political party or how they vote or, or uh, whether they uh, share something on Facebook. He said, he said, my disciples will be known by their love for one another. The primary mark of a follower of Christ is showing self-giving, self-sacrificing love. And that is demonstrated no more powerfully than when we are in conflict with somebody. So let me ask you this this morning. Is the love of Jesus so rooted in your heart that you can find the wherewithal to continue actively loving even those you are in conflict with. That's what his love does. It changes us and it gives us the ability to do that. That self-giving love, it, it gives us the ability to sacrifice our right to be right. And say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you no matter what. a couple of great verses one from the New Testament one from the Old Testament and they fit together so well read this with me if you would if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone it is good and pleasant when God's people live together in peace those are good words I love that phrase as far as it depends on you that's a liberating phrase you can't control what the other person does. But you can control what you do. So do your part. That's what that verse says. Do your part. Whatever they do is between them and God. What you do is between you and God. Do your part. To live at peace with everyone. Because it's pleasing to God when we do that. Would you stand with us today? Father, thank you so much. For loving us. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself.
Thank you also for giving us the Holy Spirit who can give us the strength to do these things. Father, everything we've talked about today is so much easier said than done. But we know that through your Spirit, you can give us the strength and the power and the courage and the grace to do all of these things and to navigate conflict in a healthy way, a way that that builds you up. And in a way that brings health and healing to our relationships. God, I pray for anybody who's in here today, probably all of us, in one way or another, are in conflict with somebody else right now. And I pray, um, I pray that your peace would, would rule the day, that you would give us the strength to forgive, the courage to own our part, and give us the wisdom to navigate those waters in a healthy way. Help us to love and forgive each other as you have loved and forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen. It is finished, that song says. That's quoting Jesus on the cross right before he died. In other words, he was saying everything that God could possibly do to end the conflict between us and him because of our sin. It was finished. It was done. So let me ask you this this morning. What do you need to do? What does your part need to be to end the conflict between you and a loved one? You have no responsibility for what they do. But what does your part need to be? May all of your relationships be filled with the peace and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.